Hi, this is Peter Kaiser, Editor-in-Chief of Retinal Physician. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Retinal Physician podcast series. Today, we're pleased to have with us Dr. Jeff Heyer, co-president of Ophthalmic Consultants of Boston. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Pleasure to be here, Peter. So, Jeff, you are the chair of the Safety Review Committee. So you really had a front row seat of the inflammation we have heard about with brolicizumab. Can you walk our listeners through what is the Safety Review Committee? Why was it formed? And uh, really, what did you find? Sure. So, and and Peter, as you had insight into this as well as you were a member of the Safety Review Committee and provided important insight, as did the rest of the committee. In essence, there were reports after the approval of brolizumab of post-marketing cases of inflammation. And in some of those cases, that inflammation uh, included vasculitis and occlusive disease. So the Safety Review Committee was established to provide an independent assessment of post-marketing cases and subsequently Hawk and Harrier inflammation cases. So the, the step was the Safety Review Committee, which was composed of 15 doctors and uveitis specialists, tri clinical trialists, imaging specialists to, to look at these post-marketing cases. And as we evaluated the post-marketing cases, it became clear that there was this um, pattern in, in a very small number, but there were patients who had inflammation and then vasculitis and in many of them occlusive phenomena. As the Safety Review Committee looked at these patients, we realized that it would be important, if not critical, to have a better understanding of the, the rate or the incidence of these events so that you could better determine the risk-benefit ratio when making decisions about the use of brolicizumab. And for that reason, we did a very extensive review of all of the Hawk and Harrier cases of inflammation. It's important it's to understand that the safety review committee was um, fully autonomous with respect to the analysis and the assessment of the cases and the conclusions formed. So the safety review committee chose which cases to analyze. We uh, came up with our assessment of these cases. We came up with recommendations related to these cases and the reporting of these cases, both in terms of meetings and publications, is fully under our control. That's, that's sort of how, why it was established. It, it, as you know, there was a very long process in, in many respects it was helpful that this really came to a head during the really early parts of COVID in March because this group met for five full days on weekends and occasionally during the week to very carefully review these cases. So there were 60 cases that had investigator-reported inflammation of those, we deemed 50 of those cases to be either definitely related to 
brolizizumab or probably related to brolizizumab. And it, it was roughly 28 that were felt to be definite and 22 that were probable. And we were very inclusive in terms of including cases in the probable group. So if we thought there was any chance that it was related, we put it in that group. The analysis that was performed was a very careful analysis by what we called our imaging super team to look at all of the images that were present before, at the time of the event and after the event. And in many cases, the imaging experts found evidence of vasculitis or occlusive disease that had been missed. And so when we looked at these 50 cases, what we found was that of the 50, 36 of those eyes had vasculitis. And 23 of those 50 eyes had occlusive phenomenon. So to step back, roughly 4.6% of patients had inflammation. Of those, or of the whole group, 3.3% had evidence of vasculitis, and 2.1% had evidence of occlusive disease. Most of these events occurred early. So in the first three months, roughly half of these events occurred. By six months, three, two, three quarters of the events had occurred. And pretty much all of the events had occurred by a year, especially those events that, well, let me step back, all of the events that had severe vision loss had occurred by the first year, and most had occurred by six months. There were still some inflammatory events that occurred after 12 months, but those typically were not associated with vision loss. So, Jeff, this is very interesting data. Does the Safety Reviews Committee uh, plan to publish this? How, how can we get this information out even beyond this podcast? So the data is on the Novartis website that relates to this. We have a main man, it's been presented at several meetings. So if you look at Retina Society, it is actually on that website from a presentation that is still available. But the main manuscript for this work has been accepted for publication and it's in the final stages of revision. And so hopefully will be out and available shortly. Um, there are other manuscripts that are looking at imaging of these patients and treatment of these patients, as well as some critically important work by uh, Novartis, what they call their think tank, which is bringing together an even larger group of experts in uveitis, in immunology, uh, trial experts, and looking at root causes, at potential for mitigating these events, possible treatments of these. So putting together a group, an even larger, more intense group to try to further impact the, the events either from occurring or once they occur, and to try to give us, again, more insight into the cause and the risk. 
So Jeff, you're really one of the world's experts then on, on inflammation or surrounding brolicizumab. I'm sure our listeners are curious, how do you use the drug in your current practice? So right when the drug was approved, as with many of our colleagues, I had a number of patients whom I switched to brolizumab. These were patients who were suboptimal responders to essentially everything. And before I would consider them a suboptimal responder, I would have actually treated them with high-dose ILEA, usually about 70 to 75 microliters of ILEA, and kept them on that for a period of time. I switched roughly a dozen patients in, in a short period, and I had excellent responses in the majority of those patients. Probably about nine of the patients had a, had a significant to dramatic uh, anatomic response. As this data became more apparent, I actually took essentially all of those patients but one off of treatment. And there's one patient that I treated who, who we discussed the risk and he just said, you know, it's the only thing that's I've responded to. All of the other patients had relatively good vision in the range of 2025 to 2060, and all of them uh, came off the drug. So I have one patient on the drug commercially. However, I have a number of patients on the drug in clinical trials. And by the time we understood this, essentially all of these patients were well past the six-month stage, and all of them had not demonstrated inflammation. And all of those patients have remained on the study. Now, some of those are on ILEA, obviously, but there are two studies, Merlin and Kingfisher, that again were hard-to-treat patients who had persistent fluid when they were enrolled. And many of those patients had dramatic responses where they had not responded to high-dose ILEA. And we've kept all of those patients on the study. However, I'm not enrolling new patients in any of the studies at this time. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, for really informing our listeners. And I thank our listeners of this Retinal Physician podcast series and hope you'll join us at future versions of the podcast.